Good morning again. Welcome to the fourth week of a series for the summer called Faith Works. We're looking specifically at a book in the New Testament called the book of James that's written in a very user-friendly, practical way, and it tells us how to apply our faith on a day-to-day basis. If you're kind of new to church and new to Christianity, James is a great book to read if you want to know, how can I make this, this faith that I have on the inside, how can I make it work on the outside? It's a short book. It's only five chapters. You can read through that very quickly and get some very practical ways to live out your faith. The guy that wrote it, guess what? His name is James. James is the little brother of Jesus. He was the leader in the first century church. This book is the book that was written nearest to the events that took place during the death, burial, resurrection of Christ and the beginnings of the church. So it's the the youngest written book in the New Testament, and it gives practical steps. We need practical steps in life because humans can do some pretty impractical things, can't they? Take a look at this video. South Carolina, Lonnie Holloway's dying wish has come true. I don't like it, but he told me this long time ago. He said, Salome, I'm going to be buried in my car. I said, Holloway, don't make me shame. He said, if that's going to make you shame, you're going to have to be shame. Along with his 73 Pontiac, Holloway took his guns, too. He said that when he died, he don't want to leave none of his guns here because somebody might, might take his guns and go shoot somebody. He said, so he's just going to take them with The pastor admits he's never seen anything like this before, and that's a Fox Watch. Across America. Well, good old Lonnie was buried in his 73 Pontiac. I'm not sure why, but in another news clip, they asked the pastor, they said, well, what do you think about this? I thought you can't take it with you. He said, yeah, you can't take it with you, but you can just, maybe you can take it a little bit down the road. So there's Lonnie in his prized possession, and his body is going to be, was laid to rest with his car and his shotguns. And no matter what anybody else thought. We all have some prized possessions. If I, if I said, hey, take a microphone and tell me what your prized possession is, you could probably very quickly think of, here's something that I really enjoy in life, that I really like. It's a, a material thing that, that I don't ever want to lose, that if I could take it with me after this life, I would. We probably all have things like that. I've got things like that. And there's nothing wrong with having possessions on this earth that we treasure. But as we're going to find out, as we look at three different sections of James's book today, he talks about possessions, and it's very clear that while possessions by themselves are not bad, possessions can blind us to the truth. Focusing too much in that area and on possessions is what James is going to talk about. He wants our wealth to be governed by our faith, not the other way around. Because when, when you allow your riches and your wealth to guide your life, your possessions, instead of you possessing them, they possess you. And in three of the five chapters of James's book, he talks very specifically, very direct, and sometimes very harsh 
as he's trying to encourage people to allow their faith to extend into their riches and determine how they spend, how they use, how they operate with the wealth that God's blessed them with. So maybe I start talking about riches and wealth, you're like, man, I could have stayed home today. I don't have any of that. This one's not for me. So James has got something that's not very practical. Well, rich is a relative term. Rich really is defined as having more than you need. And since everybody here is clothed, and I'm going to assume you have another set of those, hope you do. If you don't, come talk to me. We have more than we need. In fact, here's some stats on riches. If you make $37,000 a year or more, you are in the top 4% of the world's wage earners. You feeling better about your salary now? 4%. How you doing? Well, I'm in the top 4%. I know that. That's how I'm doing. If you make $70,000 a year or more, you're in the top 1% of the world's wealth. So are we all wealthy and rich in this room? If you have a job, you are probably in the top 4%. And if you took it down to say 10%, we're all in that category. So when James is talking about rich people... He's talking about us. He's talking to us, people who have more than they need. Now, wealth is not a bad thing. Wealth can do good things. Wealth can be used to make big differences in a dark world. Wealth and riches can be used to brighten other people's lives. It can be used to clothe the naked, to feed the hungry, to house the homeless. It can be used to enjoy, to go buy stuff to make your life fun and cool. And there's nothing wrong with that. But wealth, not governed by faith, will lead you down the wrong path 100% of the times. And that's the kind of wealth that James is going to be talking about. It's all outlined in chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 5 as he talks to rich people. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. Ushers have those to give out. If you would like a Bible to use today or you need an extra one or you don't have one, just raise your hand. They'll give you one. It's yours to keep. All the scriptures are on the screen, but you can also turn to the book of James in the New Testament and read along in there as well. If you just need to borrow it, you can drop it uh, in the back on your way out or go ahead and just take it home with you if you want it. So James chapter 1, James is trying to tell us a few things about our possessions. I'm just going to use the word possessions instead of saying wealth and riches every time. So here, here are some dangers to our possessions. Our possessions, my possessions, can keep me from truly seeing myself. Here's how James says it in chapter 1 beginning at verse 9. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with the scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Now, James is trying to contrast two extremes. He's saying humble people. Some translations say lowly. Humble or lowly people. 
have a very high position and rich people have a very low position. Now, the word for humble or lowly is not in the original language, which was Greek in the New Testament. It's not the word for poor. It's not the same word that's used when it talks about people who have no money or have no material possessions. It's a completely different word that could be translated down on your luck or you have bad things going on in your life or things aren't going your way. So the person who is going through difficult times in life is at a very high position and the person who is rich is at a very low position. Why would James say that? Why would he say that if you've got difficulties in the kingdom of God, you, you're, you're, you rate really high. If you're rich, you have a very low position. Why would he say that? You know, there are a lot of people come through the doors of our church for the first time. Maybe you're here for the first time. And when I hear the stories of why people decided I'm going to check out church, why people decide I'm going to accept Christ, there's a theme that goes through many of those stories. And the theme is things are going tough. I lost my job. Our marriage fell apart. My health is not what it should and could be. I've made some really bad decisions and I just want to set things straight and make things right. Those people, James would call, have a very high position. And the reason is because when are you the most receptive to God's work and word in your life? Well, it's when things are going bad. When things aren't going the way you expected. And James would say you're at a very high position because there's a very high probability that you are going to turn to God. Humble circumstances, high position. Rich circumstances, you have so many comforts in life, you have so many things you need, you're chasing after so many things you think will bring you fulfillment. James would say that's a very low position. Because you think those things are going to make your life last. You think, you think those things are going to make your life better. And you think that that's all there is. And he would say, you rich people who think that, that's a very low position. And he goes on to make them feel even worse about themselves if they're rich people. Not just you're at a low position, you rich people. He said, your life's going to fade away. Your life's just going to go away. Now, the rich people have to be looking at this going, what's he talking about? Because being rich, having money, having stuff feels really good. I mean, doesn't it feel good to have some stuff? Just yesterday, I passed a brand spanking new convertible Camaro that I would love to have. And I already know what it smells like inside. (laughs) I mean, how many, I've only messed up and bought a new car a couple times in life. But when you do, doesn't it smell like, I've accomplished something, you know, life is good. And and at least for a little while, even though you know you're losing 40% when you drive it off the lot, even, even though you know all that, there's something about it's new and it's mine and none of the knobs, all the knobs work and everything's perfect and, ah, oh, it just smells good. You feel important. Now tell the truth. You do. And if you could go today and write a good check for a brand new car, and you did it, you would feel really good when you drove away because everything feels new and tight. And, and I don't know where they get that smell. I don't know how that works, but it, it smells really good. And, and I bought the air freshener, new car scent, put it in my car. It doesn't work. It doesn't make you feel any different. It just kind of smells weird. It doesn't smell like a new car. I smell it, go sit in a new car. No, 
I mean, how hard could it be to get that scent? But you just feel better because you have something material that's new and fresh. Possessions can make us feel really good. A few months ago, several of us from LifePoint went, from the staff, went to a conference that we go to every year in Florida, a big church planting conference, and it's like 3,000 people were there. They had this little contest, and in this contest, you could win something. And so we entered the contest, and we won six iPads, brand new iPad 2, six of them. And it was like, I'm going to post that. On, I want people to know how important we are because out of 3,000 people, we won, and we were chosen, and it felt really good. And James is trying to say, Those of you who are letting your possessions make you feel so good about life, you have a very low position. You're you're down at the bottom because you think your life's not going to fade away, but your life is going to fade away. In fact, it's going to shrivel up and die like a dried up flower, like my plants did on the front porch while we were gone for 12 days. You're going to show up and they're going to be shriveled up. There's no water and no life. And he goes on to say, Even while you go about your business, in the original language, it would have sounded something like, even while you are on your journey, you will fade away without even even knowing it. So people who put their trust in material wealth, us rich people, James is saying, as you're chasing that, it's going to feel good and you're going to feel important, but... But even while you're going about your journey, your life is going to be fading away and you won't even know it. Your life will just be filled with purposeless pursuits. I've actually had people say to me, money could solve every problem I have. And I think, it may solve some. That's true. If you're in debt, it probably would solve some. If you don't have a job, it probably would. But not every problem. And it would solve nothing temporarily because money gets used up. And it's gone. So riches can keep me and my possessions can keep me from truly seeing who I am. And James would say, you're either high or low and you need to read this and you need to evaluate where am I on James's scale. Possessions can keep me from truly seeing other people. Not just me, but other people. Now the context of what I'm about to read, James is writing this letter to a church that was very young, to a church that had a lot of new converts, people who had, for the first time, accepted the message of Christ. I mean, the message of Christ was new, so everybody was a first-generation follower of Christ, and most of these people were Jewish people, and, and they were coming in from all walks of life, rich people, poor people, middle-class people, people that had a lot, people that had nothing, people right out of the world, and what was happening is that people, the church leaders especially, they were treating each other differently based on how they looked. If they looked a certain way, they would get treated one way. If they looked another way, they would get treated differently. There were the haves and the have-nots, and based on what you were perceived to be, that's the kind of treatment that you got. And here's what James says to that in James chapter 2. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, 
Do you stand over there, sit on the floor by my feet? Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. We have a tendency to look at the outside and make a judgment. So someone walks in the door. This is what the, so somebody walks in the door. This is what was going on. And they perceive that person looks wealthy. Hey, I got the seat right here for the wealthy person. It would be like, you know, I'm standing out there at the door and I'm saying, hey, if, if you got money, I need you to sit right here because we're building a building. I just need you to know. And that's how you pay for it, the money. And I say, you got, what are you doing Tuesday for lunch? You want to go out to lunch? I mean, that's how, that's how the people they perceive to have money were being treated. And then the people who come in who, who have a look that would make you think, well, they don't have anything. Or maybe they haven't had a bath in a couple of days. They were just saying, you sit over there. It would be like me saying, whew, could you go sit by the sound guy? Because, man, I do not want to catch that stench up here. That, that's how they were treating people. They were making a difference based on externals, and we have the same tendency. I mean, think about it. Look at the people around you. Think about the people you're friends with. They probably live in a neighborhood where you would feel safe walking through it. They probably have shower today or have access to have one, hopefully. They probably shop at the same places you shop. I mean, we just have this tendency to, to pay attention to the people who are the most like us. And James is saying, stop playing favorites. Stop treating people who are like you differently than people who aren't. In their case, it was the haves and the have-nots. They were looking at the outside to determine who has worth. We can do the same thing today. Take a look at this picture of this guy. If you saw this, just turn to the newspaper and look at this picture. This is Dusty. Dusty lives in Miami. And um, what do you think when you see Dusty? Dusty's probably homeless. It's unlikely Dusty's had a bath in a while. It's unlikely he's been to Target shopping for clothes or anything else. It's unlikely he owns a razor. There's all these things about Dusty you can assume by just looking at that picture. But that's a real person who's got a real story. I read this on a pastor's blog. And it was a youth pastor who took a group of kids to Miami, and they met Dusty, and they got to talking to Dusty, and they found out that this guy, Dusty, is a church planter. I'm a church planter. I don't look like Dusty most days. And, but as they learned Dusty's story, because you look at him, you think, homeless guy. True, he is homeless. But you wouldn't think, that guy's a church planter trying to influence people for the kingdom of God. Several years ago, a single man gave up all of his possessions, sold the little home that he had in Houston, Texas, and made a decision that he was going to plant churches in homeless communities because he felt like homeless people got left out of church planting. So he sold everything, and he goes from Houston, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Pensacola, Jacksonville, Orlando, Miami, and he sees, I don't even know how he travels, but he goes to all those cities, and he goes back and forth every few years. And he starts churches among homeless people. You would never get that 
If you just look at him externally, you think he's probably a drinker, he's probably uses drugs, he's probably made some really stupid decisions, or maybe he's mentally ill and he just chooses to live like that. You would never know that unless you got in a conversation with Dusty. See, James is saying don't use externals because when you do that, you're not going to get it right. Externals are not a good way to judge another person because externals always discriminate. You know, I admired that car on the road the other day, that nice, beautiful Camaro convertible that I really want so bad. But the truth is, that guy's probably in a lot of debt. He probably, since he's got a fifty-plus-thousand-dollar car, I bet he's got more debt than I do, and I would rather have the no debt than to have his debt and have the car. So externally, we look and think, "Well, I would like to have that, or I would like to be like that." But the truth is, when you see that, you're probably looking at somebody who's one or two paychecks away from losing everything they've got. So externals are they good to judge? No. About ten years ago, a guy wrote a book called "The Millionaire Next Door," and he. Anybody ever read that book, Millionaire Next Door? It's a cool book. And he, he talks about, you know, what are millionaires like? And he finds out a few interesting things about millionaires. One, in 100 people, there are about 3.5 people with a million dollars net worth. So in this room, there's millionaires. Now, if we just judge by externals, I don't see any millionaires sitting in here. But according to these statistics, there's three and a half people in here have a net worth of a million dollars. Something else he found out is most millionaires make $70,000 a year. How in the world do you get to a million by making $70,000 a year? Well, they're not concerned with externals. They're not concerned with status. They're not concerned with what things look like on the outside. You know, the average millionaire drives a Ford pickup used. I don't know where that stat came from. I read it. I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. That average person that's worth a million dollars drives a used Ford pickup. Because they're not concerned with externals. See, when Jesus was on, even when Jesus was on earth, the poor were pushed to the margins. They were pushed to the edge. And James is saying, look, Jesus already went through this once. You asked him, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. That's the greatest commandment. But there's another one. The second one is what? What James says, love your neighbor as yourself. And you can't do that if you're making all your judgments externally. I'm guilty of that. When we first first started getting ready to launch our West location, there was a church that was already there, and they gave us the building and all that. You you may know the story, but, but... they, uh, they had this food pantry, and they said, well, can we keep doing this food pantry? And I thought, well, there's a lot of places in town for people to get food. There's a lot of places for people who need food to go get it, and you know, do we really need to be one other place? Do we really need to add that? We're trying to do things simply, and, and it's, it's probably something that we're going to kill. We're probably not going to keep doing that, not because we don't want to feed poor people, we do, but we'll do it through other ways. We'll just write checks and give money and, and, and have days where our church goes downtown and helps out. And, and that was the, the mindset I had. And I only discussed it briefly with a few people like, you know, let's try to keep it simple. We can't just keep adding program after program after program. So that's probably one that's just going to have to go. 
And then I was down there one Monday when they, they were still having it. And I was down there as we were getting ready to open up that location. And, and we were just going over some final figures and numbers and all that. And I walk out of the office part of our facility there. And there's over 100 people lined from the front of the door where the food was all the way through the parking lot and all the way around the building with kids. And, and I was like, oh, I really feel guilty now. Because I was ready to just say, let's not do that anymore. Let's fix that budget part right there. We can fix it by cutting the food pantry. Why do we need that? And then I saw all those people. And so the guy that runs it, he's a really loud, sometimes scary guy. And so I was like, hey, I cannot let him see me because he knows that I'm thinking about cutting this thing. So I'm going to duck out the back. And, and so I was coming out the door and he's like, hey, pastor, come over here, come over here. And I was like, oh, great. So I, I walk over there. I don't, they don't know. These people don't know that I'm thinking about that. I know I'm thinking about that. And so he invites me into the, to the building in the room around where the food's given out. But he takes me to the room where the handicapped and elderly wait before they get their food. I'm feeling like, hey, I'm a great guy at this point. And not only that, I walk in the room and this lady who probably hadn't had a bath in a few days, the first thing she said, that's the pastor. Come here, pastor. We want to pray for you. I was like, I need it, please. You know, I just, I need prayer. I need, so I didn't confess anything to them, but I did to God and I did in that room by myself. And I said, I'm a jerk that I was going to stop doing this, that I was going to try to get us to stop doing this because of, because it was easier not to. When there's a hundred plus people that are going to get food tomorrow, just because I'd never really looked at the people who come in there day in and day out. And yes, out of that many people, there's some people who are just milking the system for whatever they can get. But most of them aren't. Some will, can't control that, but most aren't. Most just need food. And I looked at that line and I left there thinking, I wonder if any of those people will even come to our church. Or do they just see this as a place where rich people give, them out, give food to them and tell them to go and have a good day? My goal is that those people say, that's my church. That's my church family. And that lady who didn't smell so great that said, let me pray for you, that she would feel comfortable coming and sitting right on the front row and singing our songs with us and enjoying the day with us. That's the kind of church James was trying to get people to say, that's what Jesus meant when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. So stop judging people by what you see on the outside. So my possessions can keep me from truly seeing other people. My possessions can keep me also from enjoying the life that God wants me to have. We all want fulfillment in life. We all want to have this full life that, that, that where nothing goes wrong and where we, we have this sense of fulfillment all the time. And God does want us to have a life that is fulfilled. And he went so far as to give us everything we need for that to happen. And then another New Testament writer named Peter writes in the book of 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 3, and says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. James is trying to say that you, you have everything you need. And your possessions can get in the way of you seeing the truth and having the life that God really wants you to have. Maybe your life is lined up in such a way that you have material wealth. That's great. It's okay to enjoy it. 
it's okay to use it. But don't let it become what fulfills you. And in James's last instructions to the wealthy, in chapter 5, he speaks to a different group of rich people. He speaks to a group of rich people who say, you know what? And these are Christians he's speaking to. People who have said, I follow Christ. So what he's saying is, you rich people who follow Christ... I'm going to speak to a subset of you rich people who follow Christ. The ones who find all of your trust and fulfillment only by your possessions. That God's word is not enough, God's grace is not enough, that you need more than just that. And here's how he says it. And these are the harshest words, I think, in all of Scripture to wealthy people. So he's speaking to cheaters and liars and people who trust in money rather than than God and people who steal money from their employees and won't pay them. And here's what he's saying to this group of rich people. He says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the day of misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay, the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Now go have a good day. I mean, he's getting really on these people who are, who are hoarding up their money. And there's a difference in hoarding and saving. Hoarding, he was saying, you're storing up money that you owe other people. Of course you've got to save for a rainy day. Of course you need emergency fund. Of course you need cash in the bank. All that makes sense and all that's biblical. But he's saying, you're not just saving, you're hoarding. And your money is rotting away. It's rusting. It's not being used. And the greatest Money has its greatest value when it's used, not when it's just put up somewhere and never touched and never shared and never used to bless the lives of others. And that's what James is trying to say is, you're doing that and you're not helping these people you even owe money to. And you're thinking that's what life is all about and that's all you need. And the day when Jesus comes back is going to be a day of misery for you because there's going to be a day that the money's not going to work for you anymore. And I admit, doesn't it feel good when you look at your bank account and there's a lot of cash in there and you know you can make it through the month or through the week? That feels good. And James is saying, don't let it feel too good. Don't trust in it too much. Don't let it be enough. Because even those of us who are defined as wealthy, the stats I gave earlier, which is probably 95% of the people in this room, there's going to be a day and something happened in our life that the money won't be enough. You're going to go to the doctor and he's going to say something that you didn't want to hear. Money won't be enough. You're going to have a relationship completely fall apart in your life, and money won't be enough to fix that. You're going to have people betray you and lie to you and hurt you, and money won't be enough. And 
one day you're just going to say, God, is there, is there more to life than just this money and this stuff in my possessions? Because it's just not enough. And James is trying to say through these three parts in his book, don't let your possessions blind you from the truth that you can only have enough in life one way, and it's never going to be through possessions.